Welcome to another edition of the Road Warrior Chronicles, which is what I've started to call it to differentiate it on your podcast feed. Uh, because again, <laughs> um, I laughed about it last week and I'll laugh about it again this week, but these are supposed to come out on Monday. But as you all probably know by now, uh, I was I got sick late Saturday night and just basically spent Sunday, Monday in bed or, and I won't go any further in the bathroom. Yeah, just stomach bugs suck and I'm rarely ever sick. So whenever I do get sick, it's, um, I, I revert back to being a baby. Like I did call my mom and ask like, Hey, can you get off work and just come over? <laughs> I just, I, uh, I don't feel great. I've got a fever. I don't know. I'm dying. Please come take care of me. Um, but she couldn't. And so I had to, uh, pr- remember that I was in a 30 year old adult and uh, I, I feel better, but if you've already listened to the, uh, podcast i just put out with uh, keegan it should be up by now if you if you've listened to that i felt like my voice was kind of weak so i've had more water between then and now so hope hopefully i sound a little bit better on this one but i am joined by the man the myth the legend himself not jim traber but uh the road warrior um who is now podcasting with me we kind of teased this in the last one uh, you're podcasting from the now hometown of Buki Radley Hiles. And so I'll ask you, sir, why are you chasing Buki? Like, just let him, let him, let him be himself. Now he, he's not our problem anymore. Buki is free to get all the personal foul penalties he wants here in the Pacific Northwest. Uh, I'm not after him. Although I did just without not unintentionally drive by their stadium on my way to the Seahawks game the other day. Uh, but, uh, no, I haven't seen Buki. Haven't been looking for Buki. So. <laughs> no, and you know, like I'm trying to think. Other than has OU only played Washington in Seattle uh, in 2008? Is that the only time they've ever been up there? As far as I know, I mean, if they've ever been up here before that, it was a long, long time ago. Yeah, I mean, of they, course we played them in Miami in the 80s, but um, yeah, that's the only time I'm aware of. But it, back in back in the distant past, it, it may have been. And like, I've always heard that it's such a fun atmosphere in that stadium. I'm assuming like it's well within the range of games that you've been to. So I am fully assuming that you were there in that 2008 game or OU just, I think Jake Locker was their quarterback. Um, Two or three of their offensive linemen just gang tackled DeMarcus Granger and injured him. And it was one of the more pissed off Bob Stoops moments I've ever seen where I thought he is going to run out onto the field and grab another player and go uh, Woody Hayes on them. <laughs> yeah. And I remember that. I, I actually didn't remember that, but, but my wife was asking me about something about that game. And I went back and looked at my column that I wrote for, for sooner spectator or something I wrote about that game. And, and, it, and I talked about that, that incident with DeMarcus Granger. Also, apparently, and I, I had forgotten this, but Steve Owens and Billy Sims were like sitting across the aisle from us at the game. <laughs> and, and one of them was soliciting high fives from my two and a half year old, one of my two and a half year olds at the time. That one is now, um, he'll be 16 in February. So. Oh, wow. <laughs> now I was, 
I was that game. I would have been 17 years old because I turned 18 like in October 2008. So yeah, and I said I, I just said that I was 30. So it, it yeah. it's not that fun. But well, that was a that game was a cool experience. We that's the first game we did the we did the sailgating. Uh, oh touchdown, yeah, the, the touchdown club uh, set up a big deal, and and you know we parked in wherever the marina was on a different lake in in Seattle Lake Union. I think we get on this big boat. And we go through a canal into Lake Washington and we went over and looked at Bill Gates's house on, I think it's on Mercer Island or some island, and then went back to the stadium and, and uh, parked there, went to the game. And then after the game, went out and got on the boat and went back to where we parked. It was yeah, cool. Yeah. And I, I'm glad you had got to have that experience because I've always heard about seeing a game in that stadium uh, where the Huskies play. And I've heard about it so much that I thought, like, it can't be as cool as it's like, is it a tad overrated? But I mean, you got the full experience. I mean, it was, it's pretty cool. I mean, the, the, you know, there's a marina there that's, you know, the stadium marina. And so all those boats get to park right at the stadium. Uh, now, that was before they, uh, uh, you know, because they basically tore that stadium down to the nub and rebuilt it, you know, several years ago. And when we were there, it was before that. And it was pretty, it was in need of, what they did to it. I mean, it was pretty ratty. We sat in the, in the, uh, that would be the, what, I guess the North, I guess the North end zone, uh, the stand on the opposite end from the lake. And, um, you know, I mean, it was, you know, old wooden bleachers. I mean, it was, it was not in great shape. So, I mean, I can understand why they tore it down and rebuilt it, but, uh, but you can't beat the location. That is, that's one of the coolest, coolest locations. Tennessee is pretty cool. Um, you know, the, the stadium where we played in Cincinnati is right on the river. That's pretty cool. But this, this one, you know, you'd be hard pressed to find a prettier setting to stick a football stadium. Yeah. And if, if I recall correctly, and maybe like I've been in and out of sleeping, napping, you know, taking nothing big, just like having fevers here and there. Unfortunately, I think that that's passed, but I, did you not go to the, uh, the Seattle Tennessee game on Sunday? I did. And that was like that was one of the games that I kind of fell asleep to, um, but not because it was boring, but because obviously I was sick. But I was wildly entertained by it. I fell asleep, and then I woke up on I think the final drive where Tennessee won, and I just thought, oh yeah, Road Warriors there. Look, like wherever he is, like good things happen apparently. Yeah, well, you know, I was I was an Oiler fan forever, so I kind of just had a twinge of regret about the whole thing because I'm not a <laughs> Titans fan. Have never been a Titans fan. Once they moved out of out of Houston, they were dead to me. Or well, I still rooted for the Oilers when they were still they still called them the Oilers. When they changed the name, that was and I was I was on my way out of Oilers fandom even with that. And then when they changed the name and just took it all completely away, then that was that was it for me. But but yeah, I I you know I don't like the Seahawks because of Pete Carroll. Uh, but I just went to the game because I was in town. It was something to do. Um, and uh, you know, I, I didn't, I, I had a hell of a time finding a place to park. So I didn't get in there until half the first quarter was over, but that, that was a good thing because uh, I bought a club seat for less than a hundred dollars on StubHub because it was after the game started and those prices plummet drastically at that point. So, oh, badass! So it worked out because all I missed was two field goals. The first half, first part of the first quarter is pretty boring anyway. So. No, I've actually, weirdly, I've never been to an NFL game. Um, I've always kind of waited for the Dolphins to go to Dallas so I could go watch the Miami Dolphins. But I mean, hell, I might want to go watch Cleveland go to Dallas or the Cardinals, especially with Kyler Murray. I mean, 
God. I mean, how, how much do you kind of keep up with NFL? Like, are you an NFL fan? Like you just mentioned that you were an Oilers fan. So obviously I'm, like, I'm a general, I'm a general NFL fan. I don't have a team. I mean, if I had to say I had a team it's probably the Ravens and that's just because I, I just follow the OU guys in the league and they have the most. So, <laughs> I mean, I have a Ravens sweatshirt because of that, but I, yeah. I'm, I would not classify myself as a fan of any, of any particular team. I'm just, I'm just out looking at the, looking for the OU guys. I mean, I, I bought a, I actually bought a plane ticket. Was it last year or the year before to go to, I was going to go to Phoenix to see the game when Kyler and, and Baker played against each other. Uh, and then something came up and I couldn't go, but I mean, yeah, I don't, I mean, I can't remember the last time before last weekend I'd physically gone to an NFL game. I don't seek it out. If, if I'm somewhere where it, where, you know, I can go, I'll go, you know, if I'm, traveling somewhere and, and there's a game I'll go but uh, you know other than you know like I said maybe going to see Kyler and Kyler and Baker play against each other I would I would travel for that but um, other than that I, I don't seek it out in person I, I'd go to enough football on Saturdays as it is oh My yeah wife, you know is not going to let me get away with too much of the Sunday stuff so I, can you believe what Kyler's doing I mean I think I don't know where you fall on this, and this is actually kind of a good question to ask you. Um, but I've always like Keegan and I, we we go back and forth during the offseason. I think Kyler Murray is the best quarterback in school history, just from the simple standpoint of no matter what offense you're talking about, Kyler Murray could run it and be the best player on the team. Now, you can get into some unfortunate things about history where he wouldn't be on the team. We don't need to go in, into that, but um, if it's the wishbone, Kyler Murray could run that for obvious reasons. Oh God, if, he if, would have been a nightmare running the wishbone. <laughs> imagine Kyler Murray with uh, with uh, Keith Jackson. Well, and I don't think Jamel. I mean, Jamel was fast, but I don't, he was not as fast as Kyler. Not as and he couldn't not as throw agile. the ball anywhere near. He couldn't throw the ball anywhere near like Kyler could. Yeah, I mean, not even the same universe. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean, I uh, yeah, that would be. Uh, that would that I, I had never really thought about that, but you mentioning that, I'm thinking about that. I'm like, damn, I'd like to see that. <laughs> no, exactly. Uh, there's nothing wrong with Baker Mayfield or Jamel Holloway or Steve Davis, Jack Miller, and there's nothing wrong with that quarterback being your favorite quarterback. But I think it's fairly obvious what Kyler did in his one year at OU, and now what he's doing in the NFL. Kyler Murray's probably the best quarterback in school history. I think I, very that, unequivocally. An argument could be made for that, and and you know, an argument could be made that, um, you know, if he was the quarterback in 2017, um, you know, maybe we'll win the national championship. I mean, I think he was better than Baker. I mean, I really do. Baker, Baker had, you know, Baker started more, obviously played more, but um, I think if Kyler had played, you know, Baker hadn't got that extra year of eligibility uh, when they changed the rule, the transfer rule in the conference. And Kyler had played two years instead of one, you know, who knows? I mean, there's no, you know, no, no way to know that. It's just an interesting thing to talk about. Oh yeah. I, I think like with Kyler, I think because with his one year, it was, it was very visible. Like the difference between pre-Texas and then post-Texas, I guess Kyler needed a little bit of a like Keegan kind of what, Keegan would would suggest that he needed to be humbled in order to start believing or following Lincoln Riley, Lincoln Riley's coaching to the fullest extent because before the Texas game there were Keegan would point out like so many examples of he's not he's basically not doing the right play he's just the best player on the field and it doesn't matter 
And when he goes up against a team where the talent is fairly equal, it can get a little dicey. And then, of course, the second half, um, they made that run, tied the game. They ended up losing on that field goal. But um, after that game, Kyler Murray started really taking to, I guess, the play calls and allowing, like, whatever the defense was throwing at him, he was like, okay, well, I'm just going to do this then, which is what we're begging Spencer Rattler to do. Okay, the defense is doing this. They're covering the leak route. Please throw it somewhere else and not into double or triple coverage. And um, hopefully Spencer Rattler is able to make that that same transition um, from that somewhat what Kyler was able to do. Not saying that Spencer Rattler is Kyler Murray, but able to make that jump in his development. And so with that transition, we'll segue into the present. Stop having fun with the past, but uh, the Nebraska game. Um, It is what it is. It was uh, an OU win, so cool. It was, a, I mean, to me, a fairly disappointing performance, but I just, your general overall thoughts, you know, we don't need to get too deep into it because it's Wednesday at this point, but just your general overall thoughts of the game. Um, well, I, I thought it was a tremendously entertaining game. Um, I didn't get annoyed at any point. That's my, you know, that's one of my measuring sticks, you know, because when we, when we, you know, fool around with an inferior opponent um, when we shouldn't, it annoys me. Uh, I didn't feel like we did that the other day. Is Nebraska an inferior opponent? Yes. Maybe it was the N on the helmet that changed my, you know, thoughts about that. And if it was Akron, I'd have felt different. Well, if it was Akron, I I definitely would have felt different. But but it felt like, I mean, it felt like an old school and it wasn't, but, you know, I'm analogizing it felt like an old school OU Nebraska game. It felt like a 21-17 game, a 17-14 game. All those games we played with them over however many years that were all like that. Um, you know, we didn't make any huge mistakes in terms of, I mean, we made mistakes of execution, but we didn't make any huge game-turning mistakes. Um, and at the end of the day, and I said this on Twitter the other day when some people were arguing about you know, we're doomed or whatever. I said, look, the object of the game is to win. If you win, it's a success. Saves me a lot of nonsense. Yeah. Now, does that mean we're going to win next week? No, uh, <laughs> it doesn't. Um, and if we lose, then we can talk about that. But, um, you know, as we've seen over the years, uh, probably, you know, certainly most, obviously most recently and, and perhaps most, uh, uh, starkly I guess last season you know it's a progression and the team is going to change and and hopefully improve as the season goes on and you know I think that uh, I think that we we may be seeing some of that now this this weekend's going to be a test the following weekend's going to be a real test I I, at this point I'm not sure that K-State won't be favored over us and whether they're favored over us or not maybe they should be favored over us but that's 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 one more down the road but um you know, I, I'm, I'm, I'm more worried about K-State than I am about West Virginia, but we can't overlook West Virginia either. Yeah, and I'm glad you brought up, you know, at the beginning of that, I'm glad you brought up that the score and just the overall feel of the game, it, if you just removed the facts in that Nebraska lost to Illinois, Nebraska's not very good, Nebraska hasn't been very good for over a decade, if you're talking about the standard of Nebraska football, and OU this season, while 3-0, has not exactly – even sniffed what we thought that they were capable of, you know, game one, game two, game three. Um, If you removed all that and just you 
I want to watch OU Nebraska play football again. And you just inserted OU players and Nebraska players. That would be the game that would have happened. 23 to 16. You just go through all the 70s and the 80s scores. And that's exactly kind of the same feel. There was, I mean, the 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 Orange Bowl rematch, that was a fairly high scoring game in terms of OU Nebraska, how they used would typically play each other. It was always a defensive Defensive juggernauts going at each other with great running backs, great offensive players that barely could score. And it just kind of spoke to how well the two opponents knew each other and how well they played against each other. So in that respect, it did feel like a classic OU Nebraska game. And if you're going to commemorate something from the past, you know, it, it kind of remind it it kind of reminded me of like an awesome band going back on tour after so many years of hiatus where they just go out there and they play the hits and they make you remember how badass they used to be. You're yeah. like, we're just going to play the hits. Here's like a great iconic play with DJ Graham, one handing uh, one handed interception. Here's a great iconic play of a block extra point returned all the way for two points in a game where every single point matters. So right. it did feel like an old school OU Nebraska game, but the problem is, is you have to have those facts in place for extra context. And that's where I wish I kind of watched OU football like like you do. Um, you seem to have a better grip on the present when you're watching OU football. My problem, like as a fan, is I'll watch them play, and I can't help but project forward. I can't help but watch the Tulane game and go, this better be an outlier, because if this isn't, Nebraska could be tough. League play might be tough, and then Nebraska happens, and I just kind of get in the same boat with you where you start to project forward and go, man, Kansas State might even be favored if they beat Oklahoma State this weekend. And even if OU beats West Virginia, like why would anybody think OU's going to go into Manhattan the way they've been playing unless they just absolutely curb stop West Virginia and start showing people, oh, they might start, they might be st- um, starting to figure it out. Well, and that, and that could happen. I mean, and, you know, you look back at, at like the 2015 Texas game, where we, we just stunk up the joint. They yeah. ran all over us. We stunk up the joint. And, you know, the, the whole year was doomed. Everything was disaster. We go out the next week. We'll go to Manhattan, Kansas, and win 55 to nothing. And are just a juggernaut from there on out. Um, you know, so there's no way. I mean, these are college kids. You know, the whole, the whole, the, the whole joke goes around on, on Twitter every time a college kicker misses a big field goal. You know, hashtag college kickers. Well, that goes for the whole team. They're college kids, and things change from week to week, and we could blow out West Virginia. We could blow out Kansas State. We could lose to either or both of them. Uh, that's part of what makes it fun to me. I'm not going to get all hung up on, you know, okay, well, past performance is a predictor of future performance. I mean, sure, that's it's like that in anything, but uh, probably less so in college football than most other things because of the wild swings and things that we see. And, and, and I mean, I'm not just making that up. You've watched them for years. You know how that happens, not just with our team, but with lots of other teams too. Um, you know, one, one week, just, you know, it's just like the, um, the old transitive score thing, you know, team A beats team B, which be, beats team C, therefore team C is better than team A, but it don't work that way. Yeah. Uh, and, and that's, that's kind of how I look at it. I, I try to enjoy, and, and I learned this in the mid nineties when all I had to enjoy was each game as a, as an individual <laughs> entity, because there was no broader picture. The broader picture was, you know, after we played, you know, whoever we closed out the season with the season was over, we weren't going to a bowl game. We weren't winning anything. 
And so all I had to enjoy was each week individually. And so I came to, I came to, to look at it that way. Now, obviously, you know, I know there are broader goals here. Uh, I know there are expectations and I have those too uh, with this, this season and, and every other season when we're, you know, since we've been good. Um, but I try to compartmentalize it to, to each individual game and, and, you know, leave it aside. I mean, if we lose, I don't read the paper or listen to anything about it until we, we play again, just because I don't need the negativity. This week, I didn't even, I haven't read a single story about the game on Saturday. I, I just, now part of that had to do with the fact that I came home and immediately went to the airport and flew to the <laughs> West Coast. So uh, that made it easier. But I mean, I just, you know, I don't need the negativity over a win uh, any more than I needed over a loss. So. I mean, that's, I mean, that's the curse of being like around OU football is, you know, the bare minimum at times, especially when you go into a season like this is winning as silly as that sounds. Cause you, you, you can't just win. You, you have to win and prove how good you are week in and week out, especially when you're playing, you know, rather inferior opponents. But, you know, at the end of the day with Nebraska, like they are, they are a power five team. They are a big 10 team. And, I thought more like as my pre, my preseason prediction, like before the Tulane game was I thought we'd beat I thought we would just destroy Nebraska. And that had more to do with what I thought of OU and less of what I thought of Nebraska. Like Nebraska can still be, I guess, an okay Big Ten West team for like their their defense seems rather good. If Adrian Martinez can <laughs> I guess just hit every single pass like he did on Saturday, then the sky's the limit for them in that in that division. But, um, I, I guess what I'm trying to say is like now moving forward, I think I'm probably just going to stop assuming OU is going to hit their ceiling until they actually do it, which is why West Virginia is such a good test because West Virginia has looked rather good, you know, to start the year off. It's a night game, rare night game in Norman, Oklahoma. And so, OU should be up for that. They're going to be wearing the rough rider jerseys. The players like wearing stuff like that. And, you just hope that the efforts there, that the execution is there. And if they can start looking like the team we thought in the off season, maybe that can shield off the negativity that we've seen that I've even kind of felt after a win. I mean, I hope so. Yeah. Well, me too. Did they, are they wearing all red? I, I don't I know. And I and, and, made it look that way, but I don't know that I, after the only time we've ever worn all red, I figured they'd never do it again, but Baylor. No, the only time we wore all, all red was when Iowa State beat us in Norman oh, when they yeah. was there. That's the only time we've worn red pants with red jerseys. Yeah, that's uh, too Indiana-ish for me. Like, I don't know. I like I like the look. I for forever I wanted us to have red pants, and they finally got them, and they finally wore them with the red tops. I thought it was great. Uh, you know, I, I don't put too much stock in <laughs> in in uh, you know superstition and you know can't wear this because we lost in it or whatever we used to have lucky underwear and all kinds of stuff and i was like you know i go to every game and it, whatever happens happens it ain't me so i'm not gonna worry about <laughs> it anymore <laughs> uh, that's true but I, I i had to i had to shed that as well when i was a teenager i was like you know this is just i'm adding too much stress onto something that i have no say in but whatever yeah, but. now now that the, the one guy i know who's been to more games in a row than i have he has a weird superstition about it he doesn't wear OU stuff to the games and he generally wears like a solid colored shirt in the other team's colors to the games. Now that's mm. not logoed or, you know, not, and, and not like, you know, I mean, you know, he might wear a seafoam, seafoam green shirt or a yellow shirt when we play Baylor or something like that. 
is not even like right in their colors but i mean that's that's kind of what he does which i've always thought was really weird but he, that's he's, what he does. he'll rock an orange shirt during ou texas uh well i don't know if i've ever seen him wear an orange shirt but i don't know a white shirt anyway <laughs> that'll work um so okay what was it like in the stadium because i i didn't get a chance to actually go inside i just chilled at the tailgate um it was hot what, it was very hot yeah it was it it wasn't as hot as the Tulane game, but I can imagine being in the sun for three hours. Like, yeah, it was, I mean, everybody that came back from the game was like, it was hot, but. And for me being in the sun for three hours with a five-year-old and a six-year-old, uh, one of which was uh, sort of, uh, he was telling me he was going to die from the heat from <laughs> the time we walked into the stadium until the time we left. And the only time that he wasn't going to die from the heat was after I got him a corn bog and a drink and after I got him a snow cone, uh, or more precisely after I sent the 13 year old with him to get those things. For him. <laughs> I, don't, I don't leave the, I don't leave the stands after I go up there. So. Oh, so you didn't, you didn't fall prey to concession gate. Apparently what Josie and OU have been kind of on an apology tour about, which I, I, I had no idea until they started apologizing for it. I heard about it during the game, but only over Twitter that somebody had somebody posted on Twitter that they had run out of water like early in the third quarter or something. But we, you know, we bought our water at the beginning of the game, and then they have those, uh, you know, they put in the uh, bottle filler water fountains there to make yeah. it a lot easier. You're not using the 1940s, uh, you know, porcelain drinking troughs to try to fill up your water bottle anymore. So, um, so yeah, I heard about it, but I did not experience it. Like, what is this Woodstock 99? But, um, it's, uh, it, it never fails. Like I might've mentioned it on this podcast, but one of the cooler things about watching the game at the tailgate right outside the stadium is you can watch the game, enjoy yourself. There's food. You don't, you're not surrounded by people because everybody's in the game. There's porta potties right around. So you can use the bathroom whenever you need to not wait in line. Uh, but you can kind of hang out with your friends that are there but then you hear a roar from the stadium and then you just all snap your heads and look at the TV because the, the game on, on television is on like a slight delay. Now, what I forgot was, oh yeah, Nebraska is going to bring a legion of fans and we would hear a roar and we would turn. And then it took about a quarter or two to realize that's not loud enough, but it's loud enough that we can hear it because they have a lot of fans there, but not, of course, not as many OU fans. And we heard a lot of Nebraska roars and it got to a point where we couldn't even have fun with it, where anytime we heard something, it's like, great, what's happening next. And fortunately, <laughs> oh, you had, fortunately, oh, you had, you know, they had more good plays than Nebraska. That's why they were able to win the game. But I mean, what was it like in the stadium? I mean, it, I'd assume it's hard to see just how many Nebraska fans there are just because we're all wearing the same colors, you know, fairly, fairly much so, but I can imagine they came out in force and they were still easy, very visible to, to uh, check out. They, they were, and it's, it's, you know, it used to be before they, before they had the East side upper deck um, and before they closed in the South side, you could see, I mean, you knew how many people the other team brought because you knew where they sat. Well, you still know where they sit, but the problem is from where I sit, they split them up. They're in the corners of the east upper deck, which I can't even see the east upper deck behind me. It's over my head. Um, I can just see the bottom of it, the very front of the club section and then the suites. And then I can just see the bottom of the deck. So I can't see any people other than in the very corners, front, front bottom corners of the of there. So I can't see 
from where I sit, where anybody is. And then, as you mentioned, you know, they're all wearing red, just like we are. So, you know, yeah, it's a different shade, but you could definitely tell there were a few times, it probably wasn't as noticeable inside the stadium as it was outside, but there were a few times when like there was a, a questionable call that went in our favor that you really noticed that there were a lot of Nebraska fans there because the sound, the, the noise they made. But there were, um, we saw a lot of them under the stadium, made sure to say, you know, hello and welcome. Uh, there was a, there was one that was sitting one row, I mean, basically right in front of us. And I talked with him the whole game and just had a, had a great time talking with him, very friendly as they usually are. And, uh, you know, just, just talking about football, not even rooting, you know, just talking about his team, our team, what was happening in the game uh, was very enjoyable. Yeah. We had a bunch of uh, Nebraska. I think they were probably students cause they were, they looked like they were in their younger twenties and they stopped by like late third. No, they stopped right before the DJ Graham interception. Cause they left. Fortunately for them, they left our tailgate right before that play happened, but we had about 15 of them stop by and, that was our kind of Nebraska fan experience, which again, that game should not have been at 11. It should have been later in the day. So we could have all had a lot more fun hanging out with Nebraska fans because I just didn't get a really get a chance to like, I would wave hi to them and say, hi, welcome Norman. But that was it. It just, man, I mean, to me that that game day experience was kind of a dud. like the game be damned like to me it was a disappointing performance it was an entertaining game but from what I expected OU to do it was disappointing but the game day experience itself was just kind of a bummer for me maybe if I had gone into the game it would have been a little bit of a better experience but I I went into that day expecting like Nebraska fans just kind of be walking around and then hey come on over and it was just everybody parked Everybody did their thing and they went on, went along with their business to go to the game. And it was just like, man, why couldn't this have been at least at two 30? I hate TV contracts. Yeah. Well, and I, and my day was going to be like that anyway, because I had a plane to catch at five. Yeah. Or six. So, you know, we didn't bring the RV. Um, you know, we basically drove in, parked, uh, walked straight into the game. And then after the game, walked out, got in a car and came home. So that was how my day was going to go either way. It's just one of those days. But yeah, I mean, I would much have, I would have much preferred not to have been able to fly out Saturday night because the game was at night, brought my RV at, you know, 10 o'clock in the morning, spent the day, you know, tailgating and hanging out and, um, you know, done it upright. But, you know, it is what it is. As, as Bob Bowlesby said, we all signed the contract. <laughs> Are you already looking forward to the return trip next year? Because like, I know I am, that's, I've never been to Memorial Stadium in Lincoln, Nebraska. Um, I want to go just from the standpoint of there's so much great OU history in that stadium, fortunately. Um, But also, we may never know when these two teams, these two programs may may play again. So I'm I'm so excited for that trip. I had, you know, dozens of Nebraska fans tell me, like, please come next year. It's going to be a great experience. So I'm, I'm already I'm already super excited for that one. Yeah, no, I'm excited as well. It's been, you know, well, the last time we played up there was 2009, which was a Yeesh. A, a dud of a game <laughs> in in a number of in a number of respects. And I think I've told the story before about flying back on the charter, sitting behind Landry Jones's parents, and his mother was literally in tears the whole way because he had just stunk up the place. But, uh, um, but, uh, and I, you know, come to think of it, I may have only seen us win in Nebraska at Nebraska like once. 
Uh, I'd have to go. I mean, however many times we've won there. 2005. Yeah. However many times we've won there since 1990, I think it's just once. I mean, I think I've been up there six, seven, eight times, nine times, and we've only won once. Now, a lot of that was in the mid nineties, you know, the 2001 game, I remember going up there and, and, uh, you know, they, they executed their trick play and we didn't, um, and then, oh, uh, Nate fell down. We play up there in, well, no, I guess we didn't play up there in 2003 because it was an off year. Yeah, it so, was yeah, oh, 2000. Yeah, 2000. So, yeah, because it, it was 2005 and then 2009. So, yeah, we, lo- we won in 05 and lost in 09. So, yeah. Yeah, Rep Bomar is the only quarterback to win in Lincoln since, uh, I guess that would have been Charles Thompson. Uh, yeah, I think so. I think so. <laughs> Kale <laughs> Gundy, Kale Gundy, very nearly won there, and in, in one of the coldest games I've ever been to in my life in 1991. Yeah, uh, but it didn't, it didn't work out. I mean, I was, I did a remote last week with Kelly Gregg, and you know, of course, he was talking on the radio about OU Nebraska the whole time, and during the breaks, I would. I, I told him that I sat through and watched the 96 OU Nebraska game. And I was so shocked that knowing the final score, I think it was like 73 to 21, but knowing the final score, I was so shocked to see that OU's defense forced like seven, three and outs to start the game. The offense just couldn't do yeah. anything. Well, the, the first half of that game was, was you would never, and I don't remember what the score was at halftime, but you would never, you would, I remember that you would have never thought from the score at halftime of that game, that it would have ended up where it did. And the yeah. only reason we had 21 points is we scored three touchdowns in the fourth quarter, I think, just in garbage time. I mean, they they hammered us. But our defense played well for a big chunk of the game. Yeah, well, Kelly brought up to me, he was like, you know, the, the year before, um, 95, um, in Lincoln uh, against Tommy Frazier, he was like, that final score is 37 to nothing. He's like, the score at halftime was 13 to nothing. Like, our mm-hmm. offense couldn't do anything. And we just like defense just got tired and it was just, to me, it just spoke to even when OU was truly bad, they were still fairly close. You know, they just, they just needed, they needed leadership and they needed an offense. And if they did, they could have been a solid team because God, like the defenses Kelly Gregg played on were talented and good enough. They just needed an offense to basically give them a breath. Yeah, no, I I agree with that. I mean, Schnellenberger's year, the team was just sort of mediocre all the way around. I mean, they were much better coached under Schnellenberger, drunk or not, than they were the, like, the following <laughs> three years. There were there was just such intense incompetence in so many other areas from '96 to '98. And you know, I always come back when people want to talk about that era to that that '96 um, that '96 Kansas game. Uh, which which is still ranks up there as one of the worst experiences of my football watching career, where we outgained Kansas by 200 some yards, ran up and down the field between the 20s, uh, and ended up losing like 53 to 28 because we gave up a block field goal return for a touchdown, a kickoff return for a touchdown, a punt return for a touchdown, and we turned the ball over several times and had a jillion penalties and just basically just gave the thing away to the point where we got routed in a game where we dominated on offense. Yeah. Um, because because there was just such incompetence uh, generally, um, mostly on special teams that day. But I mean, it was just it was infuriating. I, it, it still pisses me off when I even think about that. Game. <laughs> well, <I've, laughs> which is why I bring it up all the time because it keeps me <laughs> humble. There you um, go. So, uh, which kind of brings up something that I've kind of found interesting about this season. In you know, three games in, 
in OU's two games against, you know, something more than air, like Tulane and Nebraska, the special teams have been the difference. That's so odd. Yeah. Like, Gabe Burgess's three field goals, three fifty plus yard field goals against Tulane. OU needed each one of them. And OU needed two missed field goals by Nebraska, a blocked extra point. Shout out to Isaiah Coe. He made that happen and returned by Patrick Fields in order to beat Nebraska. And I was trying to think, like, when was the last time that special teams, like, literally came and saved OU? And I'm like, it had to have been maybe, like, Jalen Saunders' punt returns against OSU when he was there the two years in a row, 2012 and 2013. Mm -hmm. Uh, But those were just, like, one plays. They didn't necessarily win the game for them. And I'm like, it had to be, had to have been like maybe early 2000s Bob Stoops teams where like special teams was very much like some, a factor that like even broadcasters would, would bring up like, Hey, like their special teams, they block field goals, they block punts. Like it's just very much a factor uh, when you're playing Oklahoma. Well, that, that, that Iowa state game when Seneca Wallace was the quarterback and they came in really highly ranked uh, and we blew them out. As I recall, special teams, I know there was a block punt for a touchdown in that game because uh, I distinctly remember it getting blocked and it, the ball was spinning like a top yeah. on it, yeah. like at the goal line. Um, the punter tried enough, to kick it. Yeah, the yeah, punter tried to kick it out he and he missed it. it. Yeah. <laughs> he, whipped, he whiffed it. Um, that game sticks out. Uh, strangely enough, the 97 Syracuse game during the Blake era, you know, blocked a field goal in the last play of the game to yeah. save, you know, the, the legendary Donovan, Donovan McNabb vomit game, which... Uh, <laughs> So some some account on Twitter tweeted out a picture of, of McNabb in his uh, Syracuse uniform last week or the week before, and I responded with a vomit gif, and like one guy responded and said, "I understand that reference because nobody remembers <laughs> nobody remembers him puking his guts up on our field." But um, but yeah, I mean, you know, in a game that we won by seven points, uh, difference uh, differences in special teams accounted for nine points. I mean, those two missed field goals and the blocked extra point that went the other way, that's a nine-point swing in a seven-point game. That's a big deal. (laughs) I know, which is, if you want to be optimistic about this team, and I'm not saying that I'm not, all I'm saying is that I've kind of removed the, I'm I'm not assuming that they're going to hit their ceiling until I see it. So I can still be optimistic, but I've curbed my expectations to an extent. But it is nice to know that this team can win in different ways instead of just outscoring opponents. Because I think we all were under this kind of dreamscape gaze of assuming that the offense is always going to be Lincoln Riley high powered. We're just waiting for that defense to kind of become what it's become. And you're just going to marry the two things together that that has not happened yet. Like we're, we're not seeing like an Alex Grinch defense with the 2017 offense. Like that's what we've all wanted it can't happen, but you know, this, this offense still has a high ceiling that it can reach, but it is nice to know that special teams have kind of become a a focal point because I don't think any of us even ever dreamed of or assumed that the special teams could be something that you could expect to help OU win games and and especially tight ball games, which is something OU's kind of struggled with in recent years, just winning outright in themselves or just close games. So at least this team is showing that it can win in, I guess, very diverse ways. Sure. I mean, one, one play, and it ended up not making any difference because they moved it out from there. But, um, you know, one play that, uh, 
you know, really stuck out to me on special teams on Saturday was the punt that Michael Turk killed on the three yard line. Yeah. And, and he killed it. They didn't down it on the three. It died on the you three. Could tell, straight up in the air. You could tell on the broadcast, like as soon yeah. as he hit the ball with his foot, because you know, the angles from, from his backside, you could tell it's like, oh, he hit that son of a bitch perfect. <laughs> well, and, and I don't pretend to have any great knowledge of punting technique or anything like that. But when he dropped that ball, it was vertical. He kicked it on the point, which, of course, he intended to do to make it spin like that. But it was it was end over end backwards. And I knew when I saw it flying through the air, I was like, that's going to, that is going to bounce straight up in the air because that's what he's trained to do. And, and it happened now late in the game when we uh, actually the last punt of the game before um, uh, Nebraska's last possession, he did the same thing. And I was, and, but he was punting from like our 30. I'm like, dude, that's not, I don't think that's the technique you want. And he killed it inside the 20, but they got the ball in like the 18. I'm like, eh, I don't know about that, but um I mean, we have a we have a punter that can do that. He's not not even Australian. I don't even know what to think about that. <laughs> and he's not Turkish. No, not Turkish. There, there's your dad joke for the podcast. Um, <laughs> well, is it odd that the first four games of the season have been at home? Like, do do you feel like, man, I haven't been on the road like for an OU game just yet? I, I feel like it's, I'm out of place. I mean, it's happened before. Uh, it wasn't supposed to happen this time. Um, but, uh, you know, I feel a little bit like I'm on the road now that we've got the RV and, you know, go down there and spend the night, you know, if I'm not spending the night at home, it feels like I'm on the road. So, yeah. um, but, but we've only done that. Uh, well, I guess we did it for, we spent the night before the Tulane game. And then we spent the night after the, um, after the Western Carolina game. So I guess we've done it two, two out of three games. So, yeah. I'm just I'm looking forward to going to I'm looking forward to going to K State and and doing the full road game thing. So. Any thoughts at all about because it's still up in the air whether OU is going to be in the SEC next year or the year after or whenever. But you know this you know as OU goes into league play, any kind of like wow this might be the last time I go to Manhattan this might be the last time that I see OU play West Virginia or play Texas Tech and. Is it starting to become a little bit real to you now that you're like getting your your travel your travel itinerary set as OU gets into Big Twelve play? Um, well, I mean, I've I've been eager for the opportunity to say that I don't have to go to Manhattan <laughs> anymore or Waco or Morgantown. Uh, you know, we may very well have you know. Well, I say that. I mean, if if we don't uh, if we don't go into the SEC next year, then we're going to have to go to Morgantown one more time. But uh, I'm pretty confident this is the last trip to Lawrence, to Manhattan, to Waco. I don't think we're going to be in the Big 12 in 2023. So, um, yeah, if I never have to go back to Waco, Texas in my life, it won't bother me in the slightest. Oh, God. I don't want OU in the same conference as BYU. So, hopefully it's – I mean, just join the SEC now, I will, next year. I will, say, I will say this. I will say this. It would not hurt my feelings. If BYU comes in in 22 and they're in the conference with us for one season, then we have the opportunity to beat the living crap out of them before we leave just because I've seen BYU play. I've seen us play BYU twice. Oh, you know, once, once, once was the 09 game when, you know, Bradford got hurt and it was just kind of a confluence of circumstances. The other time was in the 1994 Copper Bowl, which was uh, played in Tucson. It was Gary Gibbs' last game, uh, and, and we got shellacked. And it was cold, and it was just an overall miserable experience. And ever since then, I have wanted us to beat the crap out of BYU <laughs> just so I can feel better about it. 
Yeah, and Schnellenberger was passed out in the uh, luxury suite. In the press box. Yeah. He was giving commentary during the game about how, you know, collision course and all that. Oh, God. Rest in in peace, Howard. Rest in peace, Howard Schnellenberger and John Blake, two coaches we kind of talked about on this podcast. But uh, I can still drive you to to where Schnell. I know where Schnellenberger's house was in Norman. He had a he had a goalpost in his backyard. Really, was it yeah, on campus? Si- uh, no, it huh. was over. Uh, it wasn't even in the really nice part of Brookhaven. It was off of uh, it was off of Maine, uh, west of whatever that is, the, the road that's west, the immediately what the, the main road that's immediately west of the mall. He was west of there off of Maine back to the north. Huh. Is it the north-south road that's west of the mall? Yes. Oh, uh, that I never have. I, I lived in Norman for years, and, they, you know, those roads go by 12s, 12, 24, 36. I never have been able to keep them straight for some reason. So I don't know. It's, it's a multiple of 12. That's all I know. Yeah. My, my parents live off of like when I used to, when I was a kid and lived with them, they live off highway nine towards Lake Thunderbird. And so like my, my kind of thing with Norman was, Oh, you mean East side 12th, East side 24th, or are we talking like West side? And like, we're all my friends in high school lived in Brookhaven. It's like, uh, Anybody want to come to the east side and have some fun? <laughs> <laughs> no, any anything uh, you're looking forward to with West Virginia? I mean, I think the easy thing would be like, hey, it's a solid opponent, but at the end of the day, an inferior opponent compared to the talent that OU has. Uh, please, please go out there and play like it. Yeah, I think that's that's probably a reasonable way to look at it. I mean, since I'm traveling this week and doing other things, I haven't really looked back at anything they've done, paid attention to anything they've done. I, you know, I remember they, I saw a little bit of their first game when they got beat by Maryland, uh, saw that they, you know, held off Virginia tech last week, but you know, I don't know how good Virginia tech is. So um, yeah, I mean, it's West Virginia. They haven't beaten us since they beat us in Arizona when Bradford was the quarterback. Um, not since they've been in the league, I expect that to happen again, but I mean, they, you know, who knows? Um, but yeah, I mean, if we play the way we can play, it shouldn't be a problem. It's just a question of will. We, so. Yeah. Well, please, please, That's please. That's why we go to the games to see what happens, right? Exactly. Just sitting here predicting, like I've I've been made to look like an idiot. Not just with the OU football. I thought Miami was going to be kind of good this year. Oh boy, was I, was I wrong? But admittedly, I just want Miami to be good because I want OU to beat them when they're actually good. Because the 07 win, while awesome. It doesn't exactly take away the sting from the eighties that it should. Well, and, and, and I, I don't know that I've told this story on this podcast before, but the Oh nine game, when we played at Miami in all of the games that I've been to is the only time that I actually feared for my physical safety, leaving the, leaving the place because those people are insane. And like, were you know, my wife wanted to turn around and engage with these people who were verbally abusing us as we're walking out to the car. I'm like, sweetie you don't understand just put your head down and go to the car because these people will take you up on your your offer to discuss it with them <laughs> and uh you know i ended up i ended up emailing i mean he's the he's the athletic director at texas tech now but i emailed their athletic director who was uh kirby hokett who i didn't know or anything but i met because he used to work in development at ou yeah so i had i had met him before at some kind of something and I emailed him and I said, Hey dude, I know this, this well predates you, but I mean, you got to do something about this because it's, you know, these people are nuts. 
And he was like, yeah, you know, we're doing everything we can, but they're nuts. Uh, <laughs> so, I mean, he was very nice about it and he engaged with me and we went yeah. back and forth a little bit, but, um, but yeah, it was, uh, yeah, no. I, I don't know what the stadium was called then. Cause it's been called a zillion different things, but like the dolphin stadium is where, you know, that game took place. Um, right. but, uh, <sighs> From, from the layout, it looks like there is quite a, quite, quite a long walk from leaving your seat in the stands to the parking lot. Cause the parking lot is just, it's just a gigantic sea of parking lot around the stadium. Right. So, well, it if, depends on where you parked. I mean, when, when we went to the, you know, we got a good spot for the Alabama game uh, in the semifinals a few years ago. So, I mean, we, we were back at the car from the stadium in two, three minutes, but if you park in the sort of the nether regions of the parking lot, yeah, it's, it, it can be a bit of a walk. Um, and then, you know, if the place is full of crazy drunk people who just want a one point game and they're bad people to begin with, then, you know, it can be a little harrowing. Oh gosh. Well, we've got trips to, uh, Baton Rouge to look forward to. We've got trips to Gainesville to look forward to on that note in the near future. (laughs) Oh, that's all right. I mean, you know, honestly, I don't, I was telling somebody this the other day. I don't think going to Baton Rouge could be worse than what it was for the sugar bowl that one year. Because if you go to a game in Baton Rouge, you know, the place only holds 100,000 people or whatever. And, yeah, they're all there for the game. But there's only, you know, 95,000 of them. In, in New Orleans, there were three times that many. And they were all roaming the city looking for people in red to harass. So, you know, because, I mean, at that, at, at that point, you know, what, 25,000, 30,000 of them had tickets to the game. It was just everybody else who was there. So, you know. Never heard a good I, I did, thing about the Sugar Bowl. <laughs> I did, uh, I did, I have opined in the past that if we ever played at LSU, that I would get a yellow shirt to put on over my red shirt until I got in the game and I take it off and then put it back on when I left to keep from getting harassed. I don't know if I'll do that, but we have to get a, we have to get a date on the schedule first before I can decide that. But. You got to learn some French words, you know, cause they'll ask for the password. <laughs> Dumbo. There you go. Yeah. Just, I, I spell my, my, words with e-a-u-x or whatever they do but oh well yeah, you I, could I, put an e-a you could put an e-a-u-x in boomer sooner couldn't you right in the middle there instead of the o's yeah yeah you can get away with it which <laughs> if if you beat lsu i'm sure that that'd be all over twitter which i can't, I can't wait for that day i yeah. i need OU to beat lsu but road warrior thank you so much sorry again about the um lateness of this one this this entire week has just been late for me but i i I already feel a little bit better than when we started recording. So hopefully, cause I, I, I don't like being sick. It's not fun. No, it's not. I, I had to, had to do a quarantine myself a few weeks ago and, and I've had kids in quarantine and sick and it's not fun. So. Well, with that, you can always follow road warrior on Twitter at OU road warrior sooner or sooner scoop.com sooner fans.com. Excuse me. Um, shout, out many, to Carrie. shout out to Carrie and Eddie and Josh and Bob. Um, soonerfans.com sooner spectator magazine all that great stuff uh, but until next time everybody thank you so much for listening to through the keyhole thank you so much for listening to uh, the road warrior chronicles hopefully you all enjoy all the extra content everybody thank you so much until next time we were sooner and we'll talk to you later